Gospel of Mark chapter 1 at verse 21 is where we're at this Sunday. And in recent weeks, we've been in the first part of Mark. This is uh, this particular year, most of the um, sermons come from the Gospel of Mark. Mark's the shortest gospel, and from what we know of statements in, in the early history of the church and what we can see in the structure of the gospel, it would seem that Mark was the earliest gospel. It's a very fast-paced gospel. We don't have the Christmas story in Mark. We have Jesus starting his preaching ministry, and so he's at the age of 30, and he follows the uh, ministry of John the Baptist, who was prophesied in the Old Testament that he, he would be first, he would be the herald, and announce the one who would come after him. And so John is in prison, and Jesus last week called his early disciples, the fishermen, and now they're going to a city, or they're in a city, or they were in the country, but they're at, uh, the location is Capernaum, which if you have opportunity to visit Israel, you would definitely go to the what's called the Sea of Galilee, which is also a lake, and the scripture is also called a lake. Today it's called Lake Kinneret. And on this lake, there's a village called Capernaum, and it made basalt stone, the millstones, and it was a fishing village, and Peter had a house there, and when Jesus left Nazareth, because when he preached his sermon there, they were going to kill him, uh, he went to do uh, ministry in Galilee along the uh, lake there. And so we have him at Capernaum now, at this synagogue, where uh, he is going to do a lot of teaching, all right? So Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and it's the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus in terms of, of we now have uh, a story of this teaching as he begins. Hear God's word. They went to Capernaum, and when the time came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. People were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. We're going to be at Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28, the text or the sermon today. The title of the sermon is Encountering Jesus Brings an Epiphany of His Authority. We'll have prayer. Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come to us, that we would have uh, 
ears to hear, a heart to respond, that we would be able, Lord, to know that your word made a difference today, that we would also desire an encounter with Jesus, who has promised to be here, where we have gathered in his name, and that we would have our hearts prepared for communion. We would ask, Lord, today that you would cause the preaching to be faithful and to be with the end result that, Lord, you would be our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're in a season of epiphany in terms of the readings of the church as we follow the calendar. And uh, Epiphany in January 6th was the celebration of the wise men who saw his star in the east and they understood that the king was born. And so when we use an epiphany in the, con in the conversation, it's like all of a sudden we get it that we hadn't seen before. And I came from uh, Presbytery uh, this week. We had Presbytery uh, south of Sioux Falls in my home um, area at, at my home church, even though another church was hosting the presbytery. Uh, they, they were, their church was on the move at that point to a different location, and so they had it in my home church. And I, I had an interesting story told me as um, a person was remembering that I had, I had spoken to a, a Sunday school class of high school students, and and uh, I had actually forgotten about it. Actually, I uh, when he first said it, I thought, no, I didn't, you know. Uh, but as he talked about it, it kind of came back to me, and it, it was with uh, a little bit of surprise uh, in my um, reflection here to learn that he remembered the lesson from 45 years ago. And as he went through it and told what I talked about, uh, I, I was really um, kind of dumbfounded about it. And he said he, w he went home and cried. Uh, I, in the seminary, I'd, I'd learned you know, about uh, the Reformed teaching of the doctrines of grace, and I'd, I taught on, on uh, there was a memory device called TULIP, and I went through the total depravity of man, the unconditional election of God, the limited atonement, the irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, and the person said it affected his whole way of looking at the Bible. All of a sudden, he got it and didn't have it before. I was surprised. I would have never known unless he told me. I hope that happens to a lot of people. It wasn't me as a first-year seminary student. i got to tell you because I'm sure it wasn't that interesting. It wasn't me. It was the Word of God being explained. And like Luther, I would have to say that God did all the work. God did all the work. Uh, Luther said whether he's sleeping or whatever, the Word just kept on working. And uh, that's because... The, the word of God is living and active, it's powerful. It's like the writer says, it, it's like a sword, it penetrates. And here we have Mark's account of the startup of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
And what, what a shock that was and an epiphany to the church in his day at the synagogue in Capernaum. So in the Bible, we have mention of this place called the temple. And the temple is located in Jerusalem. And you probably all know that, but I just need to remind you that's one place. But, you know, if you lived 80 miles away, you couldn't go worship at the temple. And the temple is about sacrifice and about bringing your altar, um, your lamb to the altar where the priest would offer it up. And uh, the synagogue was an assembly. If you had 10 families, you could have a synagogue in a town, and it was very much like what we're doing here. In fact, the church worship and the instructions for worship that we have in the New Testament seem to be based on the synagogue's worship. They'd have reading of scripture, the giving of offerings, preaching, singing. In their day, they sang the Psalms. But it was the church of the day. So it'd be like if this happened in church, you know, where Jesus would come. Now, if he'd be preaching today, you know, that would be a whole different, well, hopefully not totally different response, but a much more intense response, I'm sure. But it's important for you to have an epiphany as to who Christ is and, along with that, of his authority. So don't think of him as the humble Christ riding on a donkey as you're dealing with him, uh, but think of who he is exalted at the right hand of God. And here Jesus is at the synagogue, and he's a, a well-known rabbi at this point. He, people want to hear him preach. And as he preaches, they're amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And so this is what they understood from his teaching. They saw his authority in the preaching. And the preaching rightfully done in a church is not a wishy-washy thing. Well, it could be this, and it could be that, and maybe it's this way. No, it's a, it's a word of God, and it's a, a very clear note that the trumpet must sound, as the Bible uh, instructs us. And we have, in Deuteronomy 18, we remember the prophet Moses' instruction that there would be someone who would be raised up would be like Moses in a sense that he would have a God's word in his mouth and he would tell people the word of God. And if anyone didn't listen to that word that the prophet speaks, that God himself would call him to account. So Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. There are other prophets that came before him but Moses spoke face to face with God, and Jesus, of course, had this intense fellowship with God in prayer. And so God would raise up a prophet, God would put his words in his mouth. We, we must listen to him, and the test for a false prophet is if things came true or not. And you think about the words of Jesus, uh, what his teaching, and if you've been putting them into practice, have any of them been bad? Have any of them taken you the wrong direction in your lifetime? No, they have not. When you think about preachers, and I think about just in the recent past, prophets who prophesied wrongly about COVID, as they kind of looked into the 
near future and they got that wrong, or those who prophesied that Donald Trump would remain in office as the president. We're not talking about politics here. We're just saying people have made those statements, didn't turn out right, don't listen to them. Uh, because that's a test of a false prophet. Now, Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate pastor, teacher. Uh, he is the uh, one that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in his last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And so Jesus is the creator. He is he made all things. He is the one who's, who, who's given us the word of God. He is the great and final prophet, and Muhammad is not the final prophet. Muhammad is not the, the prophet greater than Jesus. Jesus is the great and final prophet. We think about that hymn, What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. That's, that's where we have to go. We have to go to Christ. And we look at the passage here and we see the response of the people. They were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. It struck them hard. He taught as one who had authority. And our, Lord, our risen Lord has this authority today. He said to his disciples when he left them and gave them the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And before that, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Go and make disciples. Here's what you have to do. Baptizing, teaching them to obey everything. Not allowed to take the teaching of Jesus and make it something else because, you know, it's just not good common sense but we are to teach people to obey everything that Christ has commanded. That takes, you know, the gospel is very simple. It can be summarized in John 3.16, but then it takes a lifetime to learn, to apply. And the Bible also calls it the whole counsel of God or the gospel of the kingdom, referring to the rule of Christ in our life. We look at the the teaching that's to be done in the churches, the types of preaching that are forbidden in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, well, it would be a sermon without Christ. If I would just simply give you a motivational talk today, uh, that would be wrong because what's the church about? It's the bride of Christ. But we preach Christ crucified, Paul said, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It was unacceptable in his day by those on the outside as a natural response. So it's going to take the work of God to overcome it. But you preach it and look for God to help. What other types of preaching is forbidden? Additions to the word of God. Additions. And people often add to God's word. Paul writes in Colossians, since you died with Christ to the basic principle of this world, why is though you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands 
and teachings. And so you have to look at the gospel and say, is it in the gospel or is it not in the gospel? And we're in the Presbyterian church, uh, God alone is Lord of the conscience. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, human rules are not going to change people. And then we have finally contradictions to the word. First John 4 gives this instruction. The apostle tells us, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. If you turn on the television, maybe it's even religious broadcasting, but it's something weird. You don't just accept it. John says, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. When you hear a sermon and it's in contradiction to the teaching of Christ, it is not about call to repentance and faith in Jesus. John says that, that person is not to be followed because what we're looking for here in the church is a proclamation that Christ has come in the flesh and we want to know him. We want to learn from him. And John tells us that we have to learn to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's very much part of our time. There are a great many a great many pastors who are leading people astray today, going against the very word of God. They're offering contradictions to the word. We have the worshipers here also experience an epiphany of the authority of Christ and his power that's displayed over demons. As we might be surprised to learn that here's someone in church, if you will, in the synagogue, possessed by an evil spirit. And when he comes in the presence of Jesus, his spirit, the spirit, evil spirit gets very agitated and cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. For the past 40 years, at least, a notion of evil, of, of categorizing something as evil, has not been fashionable. It's not the thing that modern man tends to say. It's not very fashionable today. And if I could offer, uh, borrow a line from Clint Eastwood, thinking Dirty Harry, not very stylish to talk about evil. But in the biblical world, in the biblical worldview, good and evil stem from God and the devil. Good, of course, from God, evil from the devil. Only God is good. His creation that he made initially was good. And then we have man following the advice of the devil, have a fallen nature as a result and we, we know that. We do battle with it all the time. That fallen nature with, within us is not good. Paul said, 
We know the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Soul is a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And so as we read this, and if you're a Christian, and you feel this conflict within you, uh, Paul says that's what was going on in his life. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And so we need to understand this is normal, but we need to overcome because evil is going to destroy us. And evil comes from the devil, the father of lies. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. A murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So we have this, these characteristics of the devil, murderers and a father of lies. That's where the idea of lying originates. We, we need to really stay away from of lying to people, lying to ourselves, to realize this is how the devil works. This is, um, we, we can't listen. We have to listen to the truth. We have to listen to Jesus, the truth and the life. The devil deceived Eve in the garden. She just, yeah, she believed him. He was a liar. Didn't turn out the way he said. And the angels that followed Satan, the devil, are unclean, evil spirits, otherwise known as demons. In the book of Revelation, there's information regarding this, that the great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so Satan, his angels, his demons, were expelled from heaven, and they're in our world today. The devil's at work in our world today. Now, some people laugh about that, some people, ah, no, he doesn't exist, and they have this vision in their head of someone in a red suit and a pointed tail and a pitchfork, uh, but in the Bible, he comes as an angel of light. He comes um, looking real good and fooling people, and he's at work in our world today. Paul said that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And during the ministry of Christ on earth, there was much demon possession. It was very manifest. I haven't seen the kind of displays that we read about in the New Testament, not saying it couldn't happen, but I haven't seen that. Uh, but I'm not going to say, uh, no, just because I haven't seen it, it's not real. I've heard people in other parts coming from other primitive parts of the country that claim to have seen, or parts of the world that claim to have seen such manifestation. But one thing for sure is there is a devil and there are demons and they do want to trip us up and they do want to appeal to our sinful nature. And this demon recognizes Jesus as a holy one of God who will bring judgment to the demons. Their, their ultimate end is this lake of fire. And in the hymn um, that Martin Luther, a hymn I could sing every Sunday, Mighty Fortress, uh, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth 
to triumph through us. And then we read about in the hymn as we sing that about the devil, one little word will fell him. Well, uh, at some point, God is going to do away with the devil and his angels in this, in this world. But for now, they are going about uh, trying to bring people down. And we have the holiness of Christ here horrifies the demon. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They react uh, in, in, it is horrified. It horrifies this demon. Today we recognize the holiness of God and as people have been redeemed by Christ, it causes us to praise him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a wonderful thing that is. And he's gonna lift us up from the state of sinfulness to a state of being clean and being with him forever. And our Lord gives two commands to the demon uh, that had to be obeyed. He said to him uh, with this question that's given, be quiet, the NIV has it, said Jesus sternly come out of him. And in the Greek it's uh, be muzzled. And so probably a better translation would be shut up. He didn't, wasn't gonna allow the demon to speak, come out. And, and come out, and so the, we have the exit of the demon with, in verse 26, with a picture here of a of shaking of violently or maybe convulsions, and uh, he came, came out of him with a shriek. So the exit of the de demon was very, uh, very, very much evident. And the result of this confrontation was victory of Christ and the deliverance of this man. Now, John tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, to destroy the devil's work. And that's the reason that's given in the Bible, 1 John 3, verse 8, that the Son of God appeared. He destroyed the devil's work. And this is true also today. We, we tend to look at people and we see, you know, frankly, they're hopeless. They're so far gone that there's no way they could be restored. And yet, as we look at this passage, here's somebody possessed by an evil spirit who is delivered. I remember working with uh, someone on a crew uh, that was uh, in Sioux Falls back, uh, I guess, nearly 50 years ago now. And uh, he was a person, young guy, uh, 25 years old or so, and he'd gotten into drugs. And he couldn't, as a result of an overdose and everything, he couldn't talk. And at one point, some, a pastor came and to the facility where he was and played ping pong with him one day. And then later, uh, the pastor shared the word of God and he became a Christian. And his speech came back. And I saw him uh, with other workers not treating him very well uh, for his Christian faith. I saw him. Uh, endure that through the summer months of his work. 
I believe he was a very sincere Christian, and uh, I truly believe that that God can do amazing restoration in a people's life when Christ comes to live and kicks out the devil uh, or his demons. And the, de the, the, the devil, as we deal with him, is uh, an accuser. Uh, the book of Revelation tells us he accuses us night and day before God. He says, how can you be a Christian? Look what you've done in your life. How do we overcome that? Well, Jesus shows us he depended uh, with every temptation on the word of God. And the, his first response is, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's how we're to live. Here's how we do, are able to do battle and overcome the evil one, by the blood of the lamb. In Revelation chapter 1, or, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12 at verse 11, they overcame him. They overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The cross of Christ, in other words, the blood of the lamb and by the word of testimony. We think about our response as Christians is to share the gospel, right? Uh, to make disciples. And we need to overcome by prayer, to have this power from God through the Holy Spirit by prayer. And we have this featured also in the Lord's Prayer. As the Lord's Prayer comes close to an end, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or actually, a, a better translation from the Greek would be, but deliver us from the evil one. He wants to bring us down. And so Jesus comes. As we hear his word, he's here today spiritually. He's present with us. And we should have a, a very clear concept of his authority in our life as a king as the teacher who brings the word of God, as our savior, that we're to hear this and be amazed at his person and work. People were here in verse 27. People were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region. So they're twice amazed. They're amazed first at his authority in preaching they're amazed, secondly, at his authority over the evil spirits. And you read the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus is doing this all over the place. He, he did one, he can do them all. And this is the message as to who Christ is. And so it's a good response, initially, to be amazed at the person and work of Christ. To have this realization he came to destroy the devil's work, that that's the reason he appeared and that even now our Lord is saving sinners from the rule of Satan. That ultimately the devil and his angels will be sent to a lake of fire. And we need to pray for a world without any influence of the devil. As God has promised, that's what's ahead. We're asking for this, uh, that the kingdom of, Christ, of God would come. We look forward to that. Let's pray. Father God, help us to have faith, to have that certain hope in your promises uh, to believe now in times of conflict, 
to know that the evil one wants to trip us up. He wants to hurt us individually. He wants to hurt us as a church, as a community, as a nation. He wants to hurt us in all our relationships and to encourage us to follow uh, our uh, sinful nature, but help us, Lord, to follow you instead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.